0: Thursday, February sixteenth, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hillen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, happy Thursday. You too. Happy Chris. Thursday. Uh, we are going to uh, do a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked, uh, where the guys talk about stocks they think are undervalued. Two stocks they think are overvalued, and a story that maybe the financial media, maybe investors out there are overlooking. Uh, let's start with the undervalued stocks. Jeff Fisher, what do you got?
1: All right, Chris, we all dream of owning super upscale hotels, correct? Sure. Who and doesn't? Living in them?
2: Yeah. I dream of staying in them. I
1: have <laughs> more ambitions. It's time to notch it up. You want to own it now. Own the Drake. <laughs> well, we all have a chance now. We can own at least a share of them with Pebblebrook Hotel Trust. Okay. The, the ticker is P E B. Share prices around 22. Now, this is a new company that formed in 2009, led by an industry expert, John Bortz, who came out of retirement. He was in the industry, hotels, about, about three decades. Came out of retirement in 2009 to, to form this company and begin to buy distressed, upper, upscale, as they describe it, hotels around the country.
0: Um, is, the, is the Drake one of them?
1: the Sir Francis Drake in San Francisco is yeah. indeed wow. a Pebblebrook Hotel hotel along with the W Hotel in Boston, the Hotel Monaco here in DC, Hotel Monaco. Yeah, the in, one
2: that used to be the government building in Chinatown. Really? That's it's a hotel. It's really man. a trophy it's a property. Gorgeous it is really hotel, nice. Yep, wow. Yep.
1: The Benjamin in New York City and the Hotel Monaco in Seattle. Anyway, I don't need the whole roster. <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe you do. Where are you, where are you going to this weekend? <laughs> so they own 14 hotels outright, and they have 20, including some partnerships. And what they're doing, they're buying the hotel itself, not the debt that was previously attached to it. Okay. They're buying at a discount. They're improving operations. And then they're, of course, waiting for the economy to recover. But, as you know, upper upscale has good foot traffic as it is. So they're improving operations already. Shares yield 2.2%. We think there's upside well into the 30s.
0: Um
2: what yep. oh sorry so I, go ahead. I love Pebblebrook. I own it. It's an IB recommendation. It's one of my biggest holdings. I completely agree and I think it's a thesis that has a lot of legs. So what is the big
0: because we we don't really talk about hotel trusts uh, uh on the podcast. Um what is the big competitive threat to something like Pebblebrook? Is it another hotel trust like hospitality properties, or is it, is it the market forces? Is it the economy in general? What What is keeping the management of Pebble Brook up at night well, in terms of it, it, uh, what they're afraid of?
1: Okay. In this case, Chris, their advantages, first, are location. They mm-hmm. focus on the coasts and they focus on urban-centered, urban of course, great address properties. Mm-hmm. And you can't build right there anymore, of course. There's no land left. Location and uh, brand name, of course, but their biggest threat is probably a, a weaker economy. Deflation.
2: Much. I mean, any flavor or mix of those two.
0: So now that we've, uh, we're, we appear to be coming out of a rough three or four years for the U.S. economy, um, is that mainly why you think it's undervalued right now?
1: That is part of it. I, I think they're buying these properties at a great price to begin with. The shares do not trade much at all above a conservative book value estimate. And so I think that the downside is mitigated while we wait for a recovery. But I think, Chris, to what you said, yeah, after we're we're about four years now into this financial storm, if you will, and although it still looks rocky, it's going to improve. I really,
2: I really, you have to believe it's going to improve the coming years.
0: All right, Joe Maker, what's your undervalued stock?
2: So I'm going to go with GM, which just reported pretty strong result this morning that everyone was happy with record, record profit, right for the for the year. Yeah, well, you know, as a shareholder, and I've recommended this one, it's a Best Buy now at IV. It's had a tough go, but this was a great year for them. Sales were up. Profits were up. I think they pretty well established that they are back and doing very well, and I think that as we see more new vehicle sales come back online, which they will, that they're going to capture a lot of that. They gained share, and they haven't been too aggressive with marketing. All that said, I about threw a fit this morning, when I looked at how they've changed their plans for their pension. So I'd been hoping that they would use some of their enormous $33 billion cash pile to make some sort of contribution. And they did make some good small steps. But specifically what what really upset me was how they've changed the mix of the assets. So they've gone from having, as of the end of last year, 41% of the plan assets being in fixed income, so Mm -hmm. bonds, to 66% this year. Wow. And they've dropped equity from twenty nine to fourteen. So they're so they're mm. in their pension plan. They're making a huge bet on bonds, right? And what kills me is that I feel like they're doing this at the worst possible time. Yeah, Joe, that goes against what uh, what my topic is going to be in a yeah. few minutes, right here. But, <laughs> yeah, oh, it, man, it just absolutely killed me. And they describe it as de risking. To me, it's de resulting. <laughs> I mean. You're basically saddling up at the worst possible time, I think, to buy bonds. Where if mm-hmm. you look at the difference between, you know, equity risk premiums, which it's this nerdy metric that we use to track how much return you're getting per unit of risk, it's really high. And that's an attractive thing if you're a, a stock investor. Bond yields super low. The ten year treasury is yielding like one point nine percent. Well, the Fed's own long term inflation target is two point five. So you're knowingly buying an asset that's gonna yield less than the amount of inflation that the Fed is targeting. And what kills me is these guys, it's a pension plan. So, this is a long-term oriented plan. They don't have to worry about quarterly, even annual results. So, they could afford to be more long-term, long-term opportunistic. So, it just rubbed me in the wrong way. So, if you're Ford,
0: if, you know, if you're a big competitor of GMs, you're Ford and you're, you're seeing the initial headline this morning that they had this record annual profit. I'm guessing if you're Ford, in some way you're comforted by the fact that, that uh, your competitor GM is is now doing this with their pension plan that, that as you and Jeff both sort of laid out there, is uh,
2: essentially the wrong bet to be making uh, over the next 10 years. Well, I wouldn't be too excited if I was Ford. I mean, I still think GM is executing very well. And they're whittling down their cost structure their product development's rammed up. And I think they're a very fierce competitor. I do think this is just going to be a sandbag on them over the next decade where you're just going to see consistently they're going to have to eke out a little more money putting towards the plan. And people have already expected this, and it's part of the reason the stock has had, you know, had a downbeat valuation. But, you know, when they keep Making moves like this to me, this is dumb. There's no getting around it. It's just a dumb long-term move.
0: Just to wrap up on GM, uh, when you look at uh, how they're doing in Europe, when you look at how they're doing in China, how do you, as a shareholder,
2: feel? Well, in Europe, I think they need to make some really hard choices that they should have made years ago, but they haven't really got around to. They're they have too much capacity. They need to close a lot of plants. They need to trim the number of car lines they've got. And there's a lot of political pushback on doing that, but I think they're going to have to. And I expect in the next quarter or two you're going to hear more about that. The China thing, they sell more cars in China than in the U.S., but because of the nature of the joint venture they've got and the economics here in the U.S., this is where they make all their money. And that's going to continue to be the case for a long time.
0: All right. Let's move over to overvalued
1: stocks. Jeff Fisher, what do you got? I think this weekend, Barron's had a convincing article on Caesars, which recently- Just went public. Just went public. Ticker is CZR. They are one of the largest gambling companies in the country with 52 casinos. The problem is, the issue is they're not profitable. They have $22, $22 billion <laughs> in debt, and that is making them pay out $2 billion a year in interest payments alone. So they're burning through cash. They had a hard time going public so much, so Joe, you you'll love this if you don't already know it. They just took public one percent of their outstanding shares to, to Wow. <laughs> that's got to be a new insulting low <laughs> they had, and that and that afforded them a, a share price in the mid teens, so which uh, it's
0: now trading below. I, yeah. I mean, I love the fact that this is your overvalued stock. it's trading below where it went public just you know, in the last couple of
1: weeks. Well, and, and it still trades at about 11 times this year's projected cash flow, whereas profitable peers like Ameristar and Pinnacle trade around seven times. It seems like uh, Caesars' one big hope right now is their World Series of Poker, which is their online unit. And uh, they separated that business unit from the rest of it, so this unit is not burdened by all that debt. But here, they're, they're hoping that this becomes legalized. And that's that's not a good investment. That's a heck of a thesis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see how that works out for them. Uh, Joe, what's your overvalued stock?
2: I'm going with Zillow. So, there's a lot to like about Another Zillow. recent IPO. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, one of these low-flowed IPOs where they don't put put out many shares and they kind of Goose results and you know the stock prices result, although it doesn't work for these guys <laughs> very well. Uh, you know in Zillow's case, there are some parts of the business I like. I mean it's basically doubled revenue over the past past year and they've increased their mix coming from subscriptions from realtors. and I think that's valuable and important because the rest of it is display ads, which is not a very attractive business. You're relying on traffic and the whims of the broader economy. and display ad prices in the long term are probably going to eke downward in real terms. What gets me is basically the valuation and the lack of a competitive advantage to substantiate it. It's selling for about 14 times sales. You know, Right now, Apple's at, what, four times sales? Google's five, six times sales. I mean, Come give on. Me- it's Zillow. Give it a premium. I know. You know <laughs> I would be willing to pay up for Facebook at 25x sales much sooner than I would pay for these guys at 14 times sales because there's just no real discernible long-term advantage that I can Gather. I do like the subscription business, but it just doesn't make sense with the money. Um, and this is the this is the website that
0: um, basically has real estate information. So if you're looking to buy a house, you can go to Zillow.com. Presumably, they've got information you know on the property. Although I think the very first time we talked about this, right after they went public. We, we went around the room and, and typed in our own addresses. And yeah. I know that for my home, the information that Zillow had was, was completely not even here. remotely accurate.
1: Their Zestimate, which is what your home yeah, is supposedly on. worth. yes. It, right. If they were within the ballpark on that, I'd have a little more confidence in their business. But they're so far off the mark.
2: Yeah. And they're not the only people capable of producing these things either. So there's not much of an advantage there. And there are plenty of other great sites to get real estate information. I mean, Redfin, like I'm in the market for a home, and that is definitely my first stop looking for information. Yeah. I mean, if
1: you're looking for a home, the information has to be accurate. I mean, real estate is all local. We all know that. They can't even get it right in these little markets where they're pricing things.
0: Look, it's a Zestimate, okay? (laughs) They're not saying it's it's zac- fun. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: You put the Z on it. Okay. The, they're that, not that's saying, saying it's okay, <laughs> accurate. It's a zest within fifty percent.
0: <laughs> um, uh, let's wrap up with a uh, uh, story that maybe you think the financial media is missing, or investors might be missing, and and uh, maybe a stock idea that comes out of it. Jeff, start with you. This is an optimistic
1: one, a hopeful one. I think a big story that's being missed is how attractive stocks are are likely to be the coming ten years. And one reason for that is because in in every single case since the 1920s, when the market has had a disappointing 10-year period, the 10 years that follow it exceed typical expectations. Now, to put some numbers on that, the average recovery after a weak decade has been 13% annualized returns the next 10 years, with a low of 7% annualized to a high of 18% per year. We've just come through a, a very weak decade. And I think all the stars are aligning for equities to have a, a strong decade to come. Uh, as Joe was speaking about earlier, Buffett recently said, by the way, bonds should have a, a warning label attached to them because they're going to lose to inflation. Uh, the S&P yields as much as, as a 10-year treasury. S&P companies are buying back 5 6% of their shares every year and growing earnings on top of it. Um, so it all it all lines up to equities outperforming, I think, uh, most other asset classes, the coming ten years, and that's that's great for us. Now we all know the bear arguments that Europe, the the economy in general, demographics as yep. baby boomers get older. But I think corporate earnings will overcome these things and continue to grow and, and create more value.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know the existence of bear arguments doesn't mean that it's you know a bad time to invest. If anything, that's, that's typically when it's the best time to get in, right? Yeah, and
1: it's a, and and yet we're seeing outflows from. From stocks continue. So
0: um, give me one stock that you would feel comfortable with for the next ten years, assuming that it's you know, we've talked before about Buffett and his line, you know, you think of it as you're buying it and you're gonna be rip Van Winkle, you're gonna to go to sleep, you're gonna own that, it. That might
1: happen. I might run to yeah. some island and disappear <laughs> exactly. for ten years. Uh, uh, it's something Buffett owns, i uh, MasterCard. Be very happy to own them. It's a reasonable price. Their main competitor is cash, and still most transactions around the world are, of course, cash. They're doing a great job executing. Joe,
2: you got a stock you'd feel comfortable
0: owning for the next 10 years? Yeah,
2: I got a few. I think Berkshire uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's baby would be one. I think it's a collection of great businesses that's been off tons of cash, and at this point are now in a way that they can reinvest in themselves pretty easily. And I think the stock is pretty attractively priced.
0: And as we talked about uh, earlier in the week, cease candy. I mean, seas candy. Great candy. Just, Ooh, great I liked candy. hearing you guys eat that on the air. That was that that made was, me hungry on my drive home. Yeah, that was Joe. That was Joe chewing on the air. You're welcome. Do you have <laughs> any left? Is there any more? Uh, you know what? We actually did. We got a second shipment. It's back at my desk. And uh, Monty Singleton, a longtime listener in Utah, yeah, sent – Yeah, Monty. Sent, uh, 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 we got another box of C's candies. Thank you, Monty. Thank you, Monty. Let's wrap up the
1: show. I want to
0: sample <laughs> yeah, it. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, Joe Mager, uh, a story you think might be overlooked?
2: Yeah, well, I am going to bring it down. I completely agree with Jeff's point. Uh, I think that's a great one. I am going to bring this overlook down to a specific company, and it's Blue Nile. This is a business that was a real high flyer for a while. Stock got up to about one hundred bucks a few years ago. And the basic theme, in case anyone doesn't know, is they're an online jeweler, and they're the biggest presence out there. And they were an early mover, great business model, great cash flow generation. At least it's set up that way. But the stock just really hasn't performed in the business in a way that I think most people originally expected. Mm-hmm. Um, even though a lot of people are becoming more comfortable buying jewelry online. I bought my fiance's engagement ring online. I bought my wedding ring online. It hasn't really panned out like you would expect. And I think a lot of us have been kind of disappointed with that. And I don't own shares and haven't for better part of a decade. But I do think it's an interesting story. And at a market value of four or five hundred million at this point, you know, you're starting to wonder it's not that these guys are going under anytime soon, but it is kind of floundering. And you wonder at what point, you know, Johnny Amazon comes in. I was just gonna say it's a Seattle company and so is Amazon. (laughs) Right. And they've got, you know, a very pricey stock to use as currency. I like Amazon, but it's very expensive and they could say, look, you know, we want to make an all stock deal. They go in, buy it, and suddenly you plug Blue Nile into the huge distribution network that is Amazon. They get more sales out of it. Amazon's got a better distribution system and logistics, and it seems like it could be a win all around, and Blue Nile investors would walk away with a decent little game.
1: And Blue Nile has a new CEO, too, as of last year, who is Again.
2: certainly looking to... <laughs>
1: To uh, make his mark, prove
0: himself. You're an Amazon guy, Jeff, from way back. You think that's a a deal that they should at least consider?
1: It would make sense. I don't know enough about Amazon's jewelry business to know if this uh, acquisition would really move the needle for them. But it makes sense on the surface, certainly.
2: All right. Joe
1: Maker, Jeff Fisher. Can I just
2: get one more thing in? Absolutely. (laughs) This is totally unrelated. I noticed Jeff is wearing a Blenheim Vineyards T-shirt. That is Dave Matthews' Vineyard. That's true.
1: I am a fan. And they're back on tour this summer. They just announced it. Where
2: is the vineyard? Is it in Virginia? It is Charlottesville. Beautiful. Go yeah, it there. really is. I went there the day that I got engaged. We went and did a like, wine country tour. We were there and popped the question that long after. Wow, but you it, popped the question in a vineyard? Uh, it's complicated. <laughs> That's great, Joe. All right, we'll save that for another time then.
0: <laughs> Joe Mager, Jeff Fisher, guys, thanks for being here. Thank sure. You. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Check out Motley Fool Money this weekend. Our guest is Nell Minow. We will talk boards of directors and get her picks for the Academy Awards. That's Motley Fool Money on iTunes and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Mac Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.
1: Need to hear the rest of that, Joe. At some point, it's good wine too.
2: Oh, it is, and you know it's a beautiful place. It so you—you, you I it. actually looked into trying to do the wedding there. Hmm. Yeah, That's but it's too far out of town. So to you took her to a vineyard, got her drunk, and popped the <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked really well.
0: Hashtag winning.
2: And Jeff, if I can get a few more hotel locations, <laughs> coming right
0: up. <laughs>